Um, so today we're going to be starting a new series for the next couple weeks. Uh, Advent starts at the end of the month. And so we're going to be starting a new series that's called uh, In Everything, Give Thanks. Um, I, I spent time with this guy um, down in San Luis Obispo when I was going to college. His name was Casey, and he was he's just a wild guy, uh, long hair. He was the drummer of the band that I was in, the worship band. And, and he kind of looked like Animal off of the Muppets. And he's just this wild guy, came out of the Jesus movement. And one of the things that he would often say, uh, he would just show up and he would say, hey, don't don't forget to look up and show the Lord your teeth. He loves to see you smile. And he would just say that all the time. Don't forget to look up and show the Lord your teeth. He loves to see you smile. Um, and I don't disagree with him um, that we should be looking up and showing the Lord our teeth and being thankful, and that thankfulness is something that we want to be able to cultivate in our own lives. I do understand at the same time that it, sometimes it can be really hard to see the good amidst everything that's going on in the world. There's a lot to be frustrated about. Uh, Russia, the elections, anxiety about family and Thanksgiving is coming up. You know, anyone else like, oh my gosh, we're going to see all those people again. Uh, inflation. But when we look at scripture, it's clear that thankfulness is important. And so asking the questions, what are we thankful for? Why is practicing thankfulness important? And why should we be thankful amidst hard circumstances? Scripture is has tons of examples of being thankful. And we, we read it this morning. We're going to read it again. Psalm 101 through 5, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And so when we see these examples of giving thanks and that thanksgiving, we enter into his courts with thanksgiving, it does beg, beg the question, are we thankful and how do we cultivate thankfulness? I think when we think about thankfulness, oftentimes we're thankful when things go our way. When something goes my way, I'm thankful. Um, when circumstances are good, I'm thankful for that. Um, and so, but the reality is, who isn't thankful for when things go their way? Like when something goes my way, I'm generally thankful. But biblical thankfulness is different in the sense that we are meant to be thankful because of who God is and know that the Lord is God, it is He who made us, and we are His. And if the center of our thankfulness is circumstances, then that can, kind of, that can go up and down because circumstances change rather quickly. Um, and so we can get tossed to and fro. But if the thing, our thankfulness is centered on who God is, He does not change, which... Once you come to understand that theologically, that God doesn't change, He's the same today, tomorrow, and forever, that's good because He is our anchor, and we get to know that God is good, God is unchanging, God cannot lie, God is for me, not against me, God has my best interest in mind, God is shaping me into the image of His Son, and that God is good. So if my thankfulness is dependent on circumstances, again, my attitude can be shifted back and forth. Good days, bad days. I'm not thankful for this. I'm thankful for that. 
But if my thankfulness is dependent on who God is, then my heart is secure because he is unchanging. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. He's good, unchanging, he can't lie, and, and he is for me. I, um, many of you know I'm a therapist uh, at a rehab here in town, or I work with a rehab. And, and so I get to see guys be in residential rehab, and then they move out into what they call sober living. And I was driving around there. Uh, I think I was coming in for class, and I got to meet one of the guys who recently graduated from residential rehab. And I said, man, how, how are you doing? And he said, I'm doing great. And I'm like, why are you doing great? He's like, God is just so good. And I'm like, well, what's good about God? And, and, and he had brought this up, and I've heard this before. He just said, I'm just coming to realize that God can't lie. I mean, just that simple truth, like God, God won't lie. God can't lie. That I can trust him, that he's trustworthy, that I can put my anchor in him because he will not lie. What we focus on will determine what we're thankful for. And in this way, thankfulness really is a choice. Stephen Covey says this, I am not a product of my circumstances. I am a product of my decisions. Circumstances are powerful, but they never take away our ability to choose my choice, my choice to focus on what it is that I would like to focus on. I choose what I focus on. Now, I want to be clear, though, that it doesn't mean that um, I ignore unjust or wrong circumstances. I'm not talking about burying your head in the sand when things go bad and you're just like, I just need to be thankful for what's going on right now. You know, that's what Sean said. We're not talking about ignoring the bad, wrong, or unjust circumstances, and I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking, that we're just supposed to focus on the good. What I'm saying is that circumstances come and go, and some of them are good and some of them are bad. And if, I, if I'm thankful just because of my circumstances, that I'm just going to be tossed to and fro. And that's a tough life. Should you be thankful if you get $10,000? Of course. Should you be sad if someone you love dies? Of course. But again, biblical, biblical thankfulness is a quality of those who understand and trust God. Um, where is my security? Where is my standing in God? A great example of this comes from Acts chapter 16, 22 through 31. Um, this is about Paul and Silas, and, and I'll read it. Uh, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. They were preaching the gospel, um, sharing about Jesus. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a loud, violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaking. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you uh, will be saved, you and your whole household. 
So it's a really cool piece of scripture uh, because it kind of shows this ironic idea of circumstances and then being thankful in the midst of it. So here's Paul and Silas. They're out there preaching and talking about Jesus, and it creates somewhat of an uproar within the city that they're in, and so then they get arrested. They're stripped and they're beaten, and then they're thrown into jail. So you're out and about, and you're telling people about Jesus, and it all kind of falls apart, and then they arrest you, and they strip you down, and they beat you and throw you in jail. What do you do? I'm like, hey, can I have some tissue? Because this is bumming me out. I am sad. It's not working out the way that I thought it was going to. So here they are at midnight, and they're praying and they're singing songs. That in the midst of all of this, they're praising God. They're praying to him. Their focus is on Him. It's not on their circumstances. And so the Holy Spirit shows up. He unlocks the chains, and the jailer's going to kill himself. And Paul and Silas don't even blame or accuse the jailer. They're not like, yeah, let that guy kill himself. He put us in here. He's to blame. They're like, stop. Get saved. And I assume he gets saved. So Paul and Silas show this idea of thankfulness amidst bad circumstances. They're in prison, and they are rejoicing. So here these guys are, and they're in jail. I mean, it, you know, it's not like they get mats, and, and I, it's just stone. That's all it is. That's all it was back in that day. And so there's in there, it's got to be freezing. I mean, it's, the conditions had to have been bad. Yet in the midst of that, they rejoice. When you compare that, to what we have as a culture, so in the prison cell, stone, no lights. When they say lights, they're not hitting a light switch. They're bringing down torches. Really bad circumstances, yet rejoicing. When we think about our culture and the average American, what it is that we have. It is always a very interesting topic for me. That we live in the most materialistically rich culture to have ever existed on the face of the earth. That is a very big statement. Again, the most materialistically rich culture to have ever existed in the history of mankind. We have so many creature comforts. Stuff that we just think is completely normal, which is not. And so our culture, one of the things it does really well, it keeps selling us better circumstances. This is what you need. This will make your life better. Buy this for $19.99 and you will feel better about yourself. You'll look better. You'll act better. You'll be better. Not only that, you deserve this. You want this. Everyone else around you has this. And so we chase all of these things because we're chasing better circumstances or we're chasing better things in our life because we think it will make us happy, which we think will make us thankful. I mean, it's really simple. I need this in order to be happy, and when I'm happy, then I'll be thankful. But again, this whole idea of chasing circumstances, it just doesn't work. I mean, we, I mean, there's adult Happy Meals. No shame on anyone that gets a, I mean, you go do what you want to do, right? But there's these things to where we keep being offered 
um, better circumstances. You, you need this. You deserve this. This is what you want. It will make you, this meal will make you happy. And if one won't, then you need five. And commercials, they spend billions and billions of dollars. Not that you don't need life insurance. It's probably a pretty good idea. Uh, or insurance in general. But this idea that you watch these, if you really just watch commercials, what it is that it's telling you to do is that you don't have this. You need it. You want it. Uh, more than likely, everyone else has it. See how happy they are. So you need this, making you discontent with who you are, what you have, and you know, you're not keeping up with the Joneses. Just simple, old-school advertising. What do I need? I need sugar, caramel coloring, and carbonation. That's what I need. <laughs> That'll make me happy. I do kind of think that Nutella can make you happy. I just want to say that. If we're really breaking it down here, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I mean, how could, what could be wrong about Nutella? Let's be honest. There's got to be some stuff that makes you happy. So this whole idea of advertising and in our culture, this idea that you, you need this, this is what you need, this will make you happy, You're, these other people have it. And so they spend billions and billions of dollars every year convincing you that your life is not okay, needs to change, and you need more. You're like, that doesn't affect me. It affects us all. It's unbelievably powerful. But biblical health and ha happiness, again, comes from knowing God. It doesn't come from chasing after all these things or being able to sit in an air-conditioned or heated room and you know padded pews or anything like that. It comes from knowing my standing with God, who I am, and being content in that. Again, there's billions of dollars spent making you feel discontent by this. One of the things in psychology that I, I think is really fascinating is this idea of the hedonic treadmill or hedonic adaption. And so this idea that in, in psychology that um, we're fairly more predictable than we actually think we are, and that this is what happens. So you have this desire, and then you strive to get that desire, you obtain the desire, and then you enjoy it for a period of time. But after a while, you start to adapt to what it is that you have, and it's no longer unique anymore. It no longer brings you pleasure. And so then what is it that you do? Then you start to desire more. I mean, it's really simple to be able to see with this. Literally a computer that is probably more powerful than any computer 40 years ago, smaller. And because we make phone calls with it, we call this computer a phone. Now, most of us are not necessarily totally content with the phone that we have. But we all kind of want, what's, what's iPhone on at this point in time? 14? Yeah. I won't ask you who has it. <laughs> she's, at the, she's, at the, she's at the head of the hedonic treadmill. But here's the thing. Like, we all, right, you have to have that. Like, you, that's a funny thing. Oh, my gosh, you have an iPhone 7? <laughs> oh, my gosh. What are you from, like, the 50s? Oh, my gosh, it's out of control. But it's, and then you think about it, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm like 50% 50 of the iPhone 14, and I could, but it never ends. It never ends. And so then we have it for a period of time, and we're like, this is cool, but then it becomes outdated. It's all simple psychology. 
because and psychology works because it's the way that we behave and we keep reaffirming this. So this idea of the hedonic treadmill, not that you shouldn't have a phone or not that you shouldn't have things, but this is how we work. And then we adapt to it and we're like, oh man, it's kind of boring. But this idea of you know, biblical thankfulness, uh, one of my favorite scriptures, Proverbs 27, 20, just as death and destruction are never satisfied, so human desires never satisfied. And by human, they mean us, you and me. That there's something inside of us that in terms of trying to get material possessions and all these other things, it's insatiable. There just can't be enough. Even Solomon, when you, biblically, when you read that story of Solomon, he had everything, you know, money, women, fame, all these things. It was never enough. You're like, just if I had this much more. Okay. My heart cannot be content with stuff, experiences, accolades. In the end, my heart can become content only when I know, one, who God is, two, who he made me to be, And three, what he has created me for. When I am content with who I am, who God is, what our relationship is, I'm content in you. Then I can really know mature thankfulness. 1 Timothy uh, 6, verse 6 through 11 say this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. What a fantastic piece of scripture. Just right there, that one little thing. But godliness with the contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we will take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now here's the deal. I hope everyone in this room because it becomes as financially well off as you possibly can. I have no issues with people making money. I hope I enjoy making money. I enjoy having a good bank account. There are people in here with money. That's not the point. The point is whether or not you just being content without any of that stuff, can you be content without that? That is the question. I mean, I'm content, not because I have all of these things, because I have a great relationship with God. What makes you content? I know, um, and many of you know that I've wrestled with depression. Um, When we went down to Santa Cruz to plant a church, Dan in Santa Cruz, (laughs) planting a church is not for the faint of heart, that is for sure. And so down in Santa Cruz, um, very different than Reading. If you've never been down there, it's just a little bit different than here. Um, we were down there, and things were going well with the church uh, for a while. And we had seen a lot of uh, students come to know Christ, and it was really, it was good. But I really started to wrestle with depression to the point that um, I couldn't even get out of bed for days on end. I would lay in bed during the week, um, 
and just not be able to get out. I didn't care. I didn't want to get out. Um, I had wrestled with depression before that, but not to that degree. And so I remember one time, well, in, in, when the church was doing okay, I would be okay. And when the church was, when things weren't happening in the church the way that I wanted them to be, I would get really down and depressed. And so I remember one time I was surfing at this surf spot called Capitola, and it was sunny and the waves were really nice. I mean, it was great. The surf was amazing. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, God, I am literally in paradise surfing. My life is amazing, and I basically hate my life. My circumstances were amazing. Didn't, <laughs> it was great surf in Capitola. And I'm like, I hate my life. Because I was tying my contentment and my life to something that was so shifting back and forth to circumstances, to things that were outside of my control, um, to I wasn't placing them in God even though I knew that I needed to do that. It was such a test of my heart and character and faith. Um, it was really a hard season of life. But it was also a good season of life in the sense that it helped to strip away a lot of the things that I had been putting my hope and trust in, and not just, not just God. Um, I still wrestle with depression to some degree, but not as bad, because I've kind of just given up on a lot of that stuff. I'm just like, whatever, you know, these things are outside of my control, and I'm not going to hang my hat on something that just is so up and down. So where can I find contentment? Where can I, my heart find rest? I mean, here's the thing. You'll never be able to buy enough just won't. I know there's the idea that you will be able to because you can't maybe. You're like, well, why don't you give me a million dollars and I'll find that out for myself. <laughs> I remember thinking that. I'm like, God, why don't you just give me a million bucks and I'll find out. Um, but you can't because things just rust and fade. They fall apart. The truck you buy that's brand new just starts falling apart after some point in time. By adventures, no. Uh, in the end, it's by knowing who God is. Knowing who God is, who I am to him, that he loves me unconditionally, and that his grace is sufficient for me, and then to uh, what he has created me for. Uh, but it all starts with trusting God, trusting that God is good. Uh, which can, if we're honest, be really hard. It can be hard to actually believe that God is good all the time. That can be hard. That can be difficult. I mean, and I know a lot of folks would just get up here and say, like, God is good, and that's the end of the story, which is true, but it doesn't mean that my heart experiences him as good all the time because sometimes I'm like, God, I'm really questioning whether or not you're good because this is crazy. But when we look at Scripture, in time will tell that God is good. He is. I had heard this one time, a, a gentleman had said, theology, you know, theology is what we believe about God. So you have Scripture and you read Scripture, and then theology is like, okay, how does that help me to think about the way that I think about God? And so if we come into, it theology, into theology and we don't think that God is good. It's very similar to, I mean, how many of you have gotten dressed and you're wearing a button-up shirt and your, your buttons are all kind of off-centered? 
Right? We've all done that. You're like, then you're walking out, you're thinking you're looking good, and then you're like, oh my gosh, my buttons are off-centered. So this idea that if you, if you button your top button, and then you button the rest of your buttons below that, then it'll all be in line. So if, um, theologically speaking, if you button your top button, and your top button is God is good, then everything else starts to fall in line after that. Like, okay, God is good, but I know some, my friend just passed away. God is good, I'm wrestling with cancer. God is good, uh, I'm broke. God is good, I'm struggling in this relationship. God is good. The place to start is God is good, and then you wrestle through all these other things. Because being human is difficult. It's just hard. And then not only is just being human difficult, then you're dealing with a bunch of other humans. So it just exponentially makes it more difficult. That's why Thanksgiving, you're like, yeah, th oh, whoa, Thanksgiving. Like, oh my gosh, I had those people again. They keep showing up in my life year after year. Because it's exponential. Not only am I dealing with my own nonsense, then I, you're dealing with everybody else. So being human is hard. And so when we think about it, like God is, okay, God is good. God is for me. God is not against me. I can be thankful for these things. I can find contentment in God alone. I don't need to be anybody or do anything to him. I am, I'm his favorite child, and, and you're his favorite child. Last week, we heard a couple different testimonies, one by uh, John Tuggle and uh, Grandma Lisa, and they were hard. They were, they were some tough testimonies. You know, hearing those things, you're like, wow, you know, uh, their child passes away of cancer. Or Grandma Lisa's raised in a really wild family, you know. But at the same time, they can both say that God is good and that they're thankful and they're content in who they are, even in spite of all the things that have gone on in their life. So hard things happen, but God is good, and that is the starting port point towards giving thanks in all situations. That's why Paul's able to sing in prison, because he's like, okay, I'm in prison, but God is good. Because he focuses on who God is and not the shifting sands of the circumstances. So how do we grow in our trust and understanding of God? To the day I die, will I be saying the same thing? Got to read scripture on a regular basis. You got to dig into the word of God. Um, becoming acquainted with the word of God. Um, I used to read a ton of chapters. I've, I've shared the story. I used to sit with the French press and I drink the whole French press and then I drink like, or then I read like, I don't know how many chapters of scripture. I don't do that anymore. Um, older and wiser. I just, I just read one chapter a day. That's what I read. One chapter every single day. I read chapter three of uh, Malachi today. It's so short that I read the last little part of four. I read one chapter a day. Very simple. Not hard. Everyone in the room can do it. It helps me to understand who God is. It helps me to see who he is. Uh, maybe you want to read more or less. It's totally up to you. I sit with a cup of coffee and I quietly read. So I do. So I did this morning. May not be the flashiest thing in the world. You're like, no, man, I want, like, give me more. It's got to be cooler than that. I don't actually think that it is. One of the ways that God chooses to reveal himself is the Bible. He is bound by it. He cannot lie. And when I say he cannot lie, that's the scripture. Numbers 23, 19. What the Bible describes about God is true and trustworthy. 
And so read it on a daily basis. Next, so reading scripture, very simple way to do it. And then the next one is just practice being thankful. Practice thankfulness. Look up and show the Lord your teeth. I mean, try it out. Genuinely, when you're by yourself out in the middle of nowhere, just look up and, and then you'll laugh and you'll think it's funny and then you'll be thankful. Just try it out. You're like, okay. Yeah. Thankfulness can grow like a muscle. And so can being discontent. And our culture is so centered on making us feel discontent that that's very easy for us to grow in, to complain about how things aren't going our way or how things should be or ought to be. You will see more of what you focus on. So practicing thankfulness. Oh, I'm thankful for that. I'm thank- thankful that it's raining. Thankful that it's not a million degrees outside. There are so many things to be thankful for. If you choose to focus on all the negative in your life, you will see more, you will likely see more of the negative. If you choose to focus on what you can be thankful for, you will be more likely to see those things. Again, look up, show the Lord your teeth. He loves to see you smile. We are God's church. You are, I am. We are God's church, God's people. When we look around at the culture at large, so many people are looking for answers and being content is a huge question that they're asking. How can I be content? And you see them scrambling, trying to make more money, you know, (laughs) doing all these things to their bodies, um, you know, more entertainment, more adventures, all of these things. They're asking, how can I find contentment? We know the living God but then the question, one of the questions for me, are we just acting like everyone else, but with just like, I go to church on Sunday. How are we acting differently? And I think trusting God, being content, and experiencing his rest, and just being thankful for him and who he is, man, that is very counterculture at this point in time. So just being thankful for who God is, who you are, and what he's created you to do. Just being practicing thankfulness, getting into scripture. I'm a really practical guy, so just reading a chapter a day, and then just practicing. While you're reading, just look up and show the Lord your teeth, and then have a good laugh. So we're going to do communion. We're going to have communion, um, and we do this every Sunday, and communion Uh, The bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for us, and the wine represents his blood that was poured out for us and our sins. Now, the way that we do it is uh, we come down the center aisle, and you come and you take a piece of the cracker, and then you dip it into the wine, and then you hold on to it. You'll go around the sides, and you'll hold on to the elements until we all have it. Uh, and then we'll all take it together. Communion is open for those who are followers of Jesus and those who would like to start following Jesus today. So if that's uh, you, then please come on down and grab communion.
is my shepherd I won't be wanting I won't be wanting He makes me rest from fear to creep with quiet sleep Lord, we thank you for this time to be able to uh, get together and experience your presence, to be able to experience your church, your family, and just to be able to experience how good you are. Jesus, thank you for coming and dying on the cross for us, that you would sacrifice yourself to give us grace, to give us just a demonstration of your love for us. Thank you. Let's partake. <clears throat> well, why don't we stand? I'm going to pray a prayer blessing over us. Looks like... Uh, you know, we're going to get out of here a little bit early. My sermon was short. Everyone said, amen, amen to that, huh? No, never heard a complaint about a short sermon. Um, if you did want prayer for anything, uh, for us to lay hands on you and pray for you, that you needed just to find traction with something emotionally, spiritually, relationally, we would love to lay hands on you and pray for you. Uh, if not, I'm just going to pray a prayer blessing over us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this time to be able to gather as your people. Holy Spirit, I do ask that you would guide us to be able to see you in our, pres in our presence, God. That we would be able to see you in our lives. That you would demonstrate your goodness before us, Lord, where we, we, we lose sight of you so easily. Would you help us to be able to see you regularly? Do something this week for each one of us that would be special and meaningful that we would be able to see your goodness in our lives, God, and give thanks. Help us to practice giving thanks, Lord. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you want to pray for anything, please come on up.